0: Amen. If you've got a copy of God's Word, I want you to do two things this morning. I want you to first find Psalms 3. Psalms 3, that's the psalm we're going to be in, but we're blessed with this psalm with the context. So I want you to understand, if, once you find Psalms, you can sort of see the context. At the, at the beginning, it says, A psalm of David when he fled from Absalom his son. So I want to look at the context this morning. 2 Samuel Find 2 Samuel. You may want to mark this as well with something in your Bible. We're going to come back here a couple of times before we stand and read God's Word. Flip with me. just want you to see the context, the overall context. If we look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, 11 and 12, gives us the story of Bathsheba. You remember Bathsheba. David's supposed to have been out fighting and instead he was on his roof and he coveted another man's wife and he committed adultery with her then murdered the husband, Uriah. You remember that? Nathan the prophet comes along chapter 12 to verse 14 and consequences are laid out. And one of the consequences is very clear. You're going to have trouble in your family for your life. This is a consequence and It doesn't take long. About chapter 14, we begin to see the consequences come. And then in chapter 15, what happens? Absalom, his own son, begins to undermine his authority amongst the people, conspiring, ends up stealing the hearts of the people. And in chapter 15, verse 13, David flees. David flees his own kingdom and shame. So Psalms 3 then is a personal record of his personal feelings during this time in his life. Most people think as, as God oftentimes after we go through the tragedy we have a time of quiet reflection hopefully to be able to think back on what's happened. And so Psalms 3 now as, as you flip over to Psalms 3 This is is David's reflections. So let's stand in honor of God's Word. Psalms 3. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there's no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. O Lord, we are so grateful for your word. And we are so grateful for for our brother David. A man after your own heart who's not afraid to be honest about what he feels about his situation in life. So God, help us. God, grant our prayer that we would gain courage and strength in the everyday heart of our life. By looking at this psalms from a man whose own son desired to kill him. Grant us wisdom, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So we said, I usually don't carry things in my pocket, but thought it was a good illustration. We said psalms and 1 and 2 gives us a couple of keys that we're going to continually use throughout all the Psalms. The first one, if you remember, is that the imperatives of God are the blessing. Our joy, our peace, our comfort, God reveals them to us through His Word. The blessings are in the imperatives. And then the second key in Psalms 2 was that Jesus is King, He's sovereign. He's Lord. He said, with, with those two then, we come face to face. David comes face to face with a real living situation in his life. How's he going to respond to it? How are we going to respond when we are surrounded by our situation? We can't see through it. I mean, can there really be quietness and rest in the midst of this kind of thing? Or is this just something Christian people say? This Christian lingo that we like to throw around inside of us, is there really quietness? Is there really rest for those with overwhelming trouble in our life? And if it is yes, then how? This is what the psalm clearly helps us with this morning. What do we do? How do we do it? Here's what we see. Here's what David wants to teach us this morning. In the midst of our everyday, in the midst of our overwhelming lament to to God about your situation. This is a lament psalm. This means if you're going to complain, if you're going to mourn, if you're going to talk about your situation, here's what David said. He, He lamented to God about his situation. This is why we love psalms. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying there's no salvation for him and God. You see, when David fled, he had about 600 men with him. And it didn't take long for Absalom to send 12,000 after him. How do you process this? I mean, think about it. Put yourself for a second in this father's situation. How is he supposed to process the fact that his own son... Wants to take his life. He's raised up an army to kill him. He's driven him out of his own kingdom. This is the father on the run. And what does he do? How does he respond? He responds, oh Lord. This is Yahweh. And we can miss this in the translation. We need to hear the New Testament equivalent. Abba. Romans 8.15 gives us an example of that. Romans 8 verse 15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Yahweh reflects a deep spiritual intimacy with God. You don't need to miss this. This is what he says first. In the midst of overwhelming opposition, you see the word many, it's there three times in, poet, in, in the Psalms, his poetry. This is a parallelism. Many, many, many. There's three groups and they're growing. There's his outright enemies. There's growing opposition. People becoming his enemies. And there's skeptics on the outside saying, He's done. He got what was coming to him. There's no, there's no chance. You can imagine anybody that ever had a grudge against David. Anybody had ever made mad. And he probably made a few as king. Now join the side of Absalom. If you have 2 Samuel, Mark, you can flip back there and look at a few verses just to fill in some of the gaps in verse 6. We see his own son. We've already said that Absalom was his opposition. Verses 12 to 14, we see his own people. Their hearts were turned. His own people that once... Swore allegiance to him, now swore allegiance to his son. And in verse 31, his right-hand man, his own counselor, turned against him. And to add insult to injury, if you flip over to chapter 16, look at verse 5 down into verse 7 and 8. You'll see we have this guy named Shema who, who was a former follower of Saul. That begins to throw David's sins up in his past. And here's what he's saying. You're just getting what's coming to you. God's just exercising vengeance on you. You're a bloody man. He's throwing rocks and kicking dirt on him. And one of David's men wants to go cut his head off. And David says, no, don't do it. Isn't it true? Troubles like birds, they sort of travel in flocks. (laughs) Wolves, they travel in packs. When trouble comes, it comes. And waves and it's coming on him. And so what comes next is doubt and questions. We see it in verse 2 that other people are doubting. There's no salvation for you in God. And listen. Turn with me to Psalms 10. I want you to see this. Oftentimes in the everyday heart of David's life. In the trials and situations. He had doubts and questions too. Psalms 10. Look at verse 1. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? There's times when the righteous feel like they've been forsaken. And you got to ask yourself the question this morning, what does David do when he feels this way? It's not if. It's only when. When you feel this way, what are you going to do? Here's what he's hearing. From without and from within, there is no salvation. That means there's no help. That's what he means by that. There's no help. God is done with you. Have you ever felt that way? Felt abandoned by God? Did you know this morning, this is is the beauty of this psalm. It's what I want you to see. Do you know it's okay to bring your lament? To bring your complaint? To bring your pain? To bring your, I'm not okay, I don't know what to do. I'm dying here, God. Do you know it's okay to bring that to God? Is this is what he's saying he does. This is number one. Psalms 13. He says the same thing. Psalms 13.1, is how he starts. He's starting here for a reason for us. He's teaching us with the Psalms. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and... Sorrow in my heart all the day long. How long, Lord, will my enemies be exalted over me? You see, he's being honest. He feels like he's been forgotten. Listen to me this morning. The first person you go to when this happens is not supposed to be... Your friends, your spouse, or your therapist, or your counselor, it's not. According to God's Word, it is God. And if you don't get this this morning, we will make your friend, your spouse, your counselor God, and He is not God. They are not God. God did not mean for them to be God. There is one Lord, and He will share Himself with no one. We are meant this morning in the midst to be able to be honest with ourselves, and with our God that we don't understand and we're afraid and we're confused. This is why the spiritual discipline we must put on this morning is prayer. Prayer. We must go to Him first, not last. I am not saying this morning, and don't misunderstand me, that we shouldn't talk to our spouses or our friends or counselors about our, our, the issues in our life. We should. The, the order is important. The Bible is saying you take it to God first because I am sovereign and I care about you a whole lot more than they do. So this is our first point. We lament to our Lord and then we declare our trust in Him. Verse 3 and 4, it says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. Now, Now this is critical. This is critical in our understanding about what we're supposed to do. We lament to God. We take our honestly, however we feel, and we take it to Him. But we stop before despair comes. How do we stop? Here it is. But you, O oh Lord, quote, despair is the perfection of unbelief. let say that again, quote, despair is is the perfection of unbelief. In other words, despair is the offspring of one of three things in our life. Fear, laziness, or impatience. He stops himself. He's honest with his lament. But he does not go to despair. And he stops it with the Lord. He comes to him, he says, But you, O Lord, see what he's about to do? He's about to say something about God. I want you to see what's in his mind. Flip back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is important for us to understand. One of the reasons that David could be get, so, can, might get confused is because God given him a promise. He's given him a promise. I just want you to hear not only God's promise that he gave, but God's provision that he had already given. 2 Samuel verse 7, chapter 7, verse 8. Chapter 7, verse 8 says, Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off your enemies before you. And I will make you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own land, and be disturbed no more. and he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod and stripes of the sons of men. Listen to this, verse 15. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. This is the promise that God had given David. And here David sits, driven away from his kingdom with 12,000 men gathered around him and he has lamented. And then he says, Oh Lord, but you are a shield about me. So Here's my question for you. Each one individually answer this question. Do you love theology? Do you love theology? Because here's the problem. This is why we're studying spiritual disciplines in Growth Group. Bible intake is important because if you don't know God, you won't be able to do this right here. You won't. You've got to know His promises and you have to know His character. When the situations come in your life, you can say, But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me and actually know it, actually mean it, and actually know what it means. You see what He's saying? He's saying, you're more than a shield. You're a shield about me. He goes on in other Psalms that calls him to say God's a buckler. He's a fortress. He's a strong tower. What he's saying here is, God, you are my total protection. You totally protect me. You see, 12,000 men against 600 is terribly bad odds unless your God is sovereign. Last week, we asked this question. How sovereign is your Jesus? You see, that's an important question when we come to him in prayer. If you're praying to a Jesus who has about the same amount of power that you do, why in the world would you pray? We pray to a God that can actually do something. We're going to see it in in just a minute. He's about to. Here's my question for you today. Whose words... Whose opinions, whose promises carry the day in your life? Someone's do. Someone's word speaks. Someone's opinion matters the most. Someone's promises carries weight. Some of you, because of a promise that had been broken 20 years ago, are still stuck by that promise. Who carries the weight? Here Here he says, God is my shield. He's my protector. He's total protection. He's my glory. He looks through present shame to future glory. He can do that because God has made him a promise, you see. Because God's got the character to cash the check. He says, not only are you my shield, you're my glory. Look, he says, you're my honor. That's what he means. He says, you're the lifter of my head. He's left his kingdom in shame. His own son is turned against him. Turn with me to Luke 21, 28. I want you to see, this is true of us. This is coming. Luke 21 talks about when Jesus comes. It says, and there will be signs in in the and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars, and on the earth distress of the nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Look at verse 28. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your head, because your redemption is drawing near. You see, when God lifts up your heads, He removes the shame. He removes the fear. And he infuses joy. That's what David desires. He desires it. David's prayer is for defense. It is for glory. It is for joy. And notice verse 4 back in Psalms 3. His faith and his trust. His trusting. in past grace for future grace. Remember the promises that we read in 2 Samuel? He said, I've, I've been defending you. Do you know? The only reason you're here today is because the restraining grace of God has protected you and brought you here. This is what he's, he's saying. I cried. He answered. This is his character. You see in verse 4, we he talks about his holy heel. For David, he associates this with not only the temple, not only a location. Don't miss the point. For him, this is the place where God's presence and his glory is going to be made known. This is completely tied to prayer. A place where God's going to hear him, where he's going to trust him to answer him. Psalms 27, 6 says, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Here's what he wants to do. Here's what he longs to do in the midst of his situation. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Rescue me, Lord, so that I might worship you, so that I might experience your power and your presence. Quote, we need not fear a frowning world while we rejoice in a prayer-hearing God. Don't miss the sailors in the Psalms. Everybody likes to argue about what they're for. They're probably a musical break. But l- let them be a lesson for us. In the midst of this, we need to just pause. Just stop. Think about what he said so far. It is absolutely okay. You're not making the Lord uncomfortable when you take your, your, your lament to him. It's good news today. Do you know Him so that you can trust in Him? Do you know His promises so you can trust in His promises? Do you know His character so the day will be the anchor of your soul? Good thing to just pause and reflect on because you see, He laments, He trusts, and then He rests. He rests in the Lord's sovereign protection. Look at verse 5, back in Psalms 3. I lay down and I and slept I woke up again for the Lord sustained me I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who set themselves against all around me what's he resting in don't worry be happy is that his mantra life apathy presumption God's got to no, it's, it's in a holy confidence. You see, the he starts with the emphatic "I." I laid down and slept. I woke up again. Why? <laughs> he said, because the Lord preserved me. That's why I woke up again. That's why I could actually sleep with 12,000 people surrounding him. I woke up, and guess what? Nobody killed me. Proof of it is I woke up. <laughs> This is not presumption. This is not apathy. This is holy confidence in a Lord that enabled him to rest in the first place. He's not saying do nothing. He's not. Don't never get that from scripture. Let go and let God know. Make sure there's a fight coming. There's a fight coming. But he dares not go to battle unless he prays for the Bible says the battle is prayer. Ephesians 6, put on your armor and pray. Isn't it true? Don't we have to be honest that the reasons we don't have rest is as far easier to plan than to pray? It's far easier to start making our plans, to make our life plan. Some of us have already set it in place, had not we? I'm going to work hard now so that I can retire and live the American dream then. Where did that come from? Does that dream, would that dream ever come from your knees? It doesn't. You see, he rested in the midst of a situation because of his faith in his God. Proverbs 3.24. I love Proverbs. Need to make it a pattern of reading Proverbs. Proverbs 3.24. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. Listen, when you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror or ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence. He will keep your foot from being caught. You see, David's not ignorant. He doesn't have a blinder on. Look at verse 6 back in Psalms 3. He understands that there's many thousands of people all over the place. He understands it. He understands the wisdom of them. They've got a strategy. They've got a battle plan. So how can he rest? It's because it is con- the consolation he gets comes from the divine. It doesn't come from his plans. He says, I will not. I will not be afraid. There's tens of thousands. That corresponds to the beginning, the many, 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 many. <laughs> That's what he's saying. But you see, he understands God's power. Omnipotence can destroy a million as good as he can one. He said. Therefore, for David, this is just wisdom. It's not just consolation. It's wisdom. Yeah, there's 12,000 of them, but none of them's God. And he's made me a promise. He's already been protecting me. He's not going to stop now. Listen, this is the life of faith. It's not just a Christianese. It's not just language that we use that doesn't mean anything. Listen to this quote. The life of faith is one of being protected by God's loving care. This marks the difference between despair and hope. The life of faith looks like a life that actually trusts that your God is sovereign and can protect you. If not, it's just words. And words don't give you rest. Faith does. This is the difference whether you are in despair or hope today. David was moved by his enemies. He was. That's the way lamented. He was moved by them. They were everywhere. But he was restored by the prayer and his sovereign king. That's what restored him. You see how Psalms 2 helps us apply Psalms 3? How do we know, David reflecting back on this, how do we know that it really was comfort? How could he know that God in this moment really did give him comfort? He said, I went to sleep. That's how I know. Listen, some of us need to stay up on our knees because we're apathetic. But many of us need to ask ourselves the question, how am I presently consoling myself? Because we are. Every one of us are consoling ourselves with something. It is food. It is pills. It is booze. It is people. God says the only consolation that gives you rest is the rest you have in me. And your actual life is objective reality whether it happens or not. Do you have rest? Are you resting in a Jesus who is sovereign? Are you lamenting your situation to Him? Are you trusting in His character and His promises? Do you realize, verse 7, that salvation ultimately belongs to the Lord? It's Him. We see something different in verse 7. Verse 7. I hope you notice this in the Psalms when we sing. There is is sometimes a a quietness to the way it starts. And then there is a build-up point. We're doing all that for a reason. It's what Psalms is doing. And so if the beginning was a little little quieter now, the rhythm quickens. You see, he has trusted. He has rested. And so he arises and he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O God. This trusting and this resting leads to a renewed prayer, renewed passion. Listen, you cannot fight if you do not rest, and you will not rest if you do not trust your Jesus, His sovereign. This is holistic rest that produces a reality in your life. The ability to say, arise. You see, at the beginning, He said, oh Lord, they're everywhere. Now He says, God, all you've got to do is stand up. My enemies are done. He understands salvation is by grace alone. Here's what he's saying. Look at verse 7. God's not just going to shame them. He's going to disable them. He uses two pictures here. He says, "He says my, my enemies are like animals. they got these teeth. They're trying to destroy me. That's what they're about to do. They're surrounding me like a pack of wolves. And they're going to start start tearing me to pieces. Here's what God's going to do. God's going to crush their teeth and smack them in the face. This is how David responds. But listen. You need to understand the honesty of God's word from the New Testament into the Old. Psalms 2. You got a kingdom, brothers, coming. Their promises God's kingdom has come, He's going to use you through it. Psalms three has no kingdom. Kingdom's been taken away. Delighting in God's instructions, trusting in his sovereignty doesn't mean you're going to have a trouble-free life. It doesn't. He's given you the tools here of how do we respond in the midst of a broken world in real life. He says, we lament to God, we trust in His promises. We realize we rest in His sovereign hand. And we realize that salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the way it's always been for those who walk by faith. Hebrews 12. You know Hebrews 12 comes right after Hebrews 11. 11. The people of faith. Those who have lived in faith. Some of them experienced great reward. Do you remember in Hebrews 11? Some got their heads cut off. What made the difference God did their reward is in heaven look look how he encourages those the believers Hebrews 12 responding to all of that says therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely let us run with endurance the race that is set before us Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of glory. Yes, he endured the cross. Yes, there was shame, but then there was a glory. So we pray, we lament, we trust, we rest, we get up and say, Salvation belongs to the Lord, and then we fight. That's what's coming in the story. You see, this is why I'm concerned today. That if we stay our whole life looking in the mirror of self-pity, we are missing the fight. God doesn't mean for us just to survive. He means for us to be part of a mission that is greater than you. That can only be done by sovereign strength. Do you see it? God says, I'm leaving you here to make disciples, to give your life for something that's greater than yourself. This is the battle is in front of him, but he dare not approach the battle without his sovereign God. There is a soberness to this story, and I want you to see it. 2 Samuel. Go back to 2 Samuel. Eighteen. There is a salvation. There was a victory. And it was sobering. 2 Samuel 18. Look with me at verse 6. This is describing the war that come from the revolt of Absalom. So the army went out into the field against Israel, and the battle was fought in the forest of Ephraim. And the men of Israel were defeated there, By the servants of David. And the loss there was great on that day. 20,000 men. Listen to verse 8. Sobering. The battle spread over the face of all the country. And the forest devoured more people that day than the sword. Oh God brought victory. Look at verse 9. And Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. Absalom was riding on his mule. The mule went underneath the thick branches of a great oak, and his head caught fast in the oak, and he was suspended between heaven and earth while the mule was under, went underneath him away, and David's mighty man speared him, and he died hanging from a tree. David won the victory and lost his son. Something bigger going on in this world than just me and you. There is. God's promises cannot be thwarted, and His sovereign power is unstoppable. Do you trust Him? So what today? The The whole message has been sort of a so what. But is the objective reality of my life that Jesus Christ is my salvation? And what am I saying? What am I not saying? I'm not asking you if you trusted Jesus into your heart when you're eight. I'm not. I'm not asking you, is He your salvation right now? Right now, where you stand, in the mess that you stand in, is He your salvation? Is He your help? Your very present help in time of trouble. When life presses in on you, how sovereign is your Jesus? When life beats on you like the ocean... They just won't stop. Do you know how much you're loved? I want you to know that today. That he's not promising you a trouble-free life. He's not. David is honest about that, and so was Paul. So was Jesus. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I want you to see this. So much comfort and so much honesty. This is an honest picture of the Christian life. This is an honest picture of us. Look at verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. What's the treasure? What's the treasure? The gospel, the truth? Who's the jars of clay? You are. I am. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. Here's the truth today. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Our weakness, our, oh God, help me, sets up a display of God's glory when we say, God's not going to walk out on me. He's adopted me. He started something. He's going to finish. He's got a promise. He cannot deny himself. Here's verse, the real honesty of verse eight. We are afflicted. We are confused. We are persecuted. We are struck down. That's a promise from God. You're going to be afflicted. You're going to be confused at times. You're going to be persecuted for the cause of Christ. And there are times even people that that you love the most are going to strike you down. But here's what he says. He characterizes the life of faith. Never crushed. Never driven to despair. Never forsaken. We cannot ever be fully and finally destroyed. That is a promise because we belong to Him. That's how we can see God's power displayed in us when he sustains us by his strength in the midst of the trouble of our actual life. And so as as we get to the end of our time together, I know no better way to end it with just to let Peter encourage us. All of God's followers knew something about suffering. They also knew how to fight. 1 Peter. 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone, to devour, resist him. Firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world and after you have suffered a little while the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm strengthen and establish you to him be dominion forever and ever Amen. God, your word is good. Because it tells you. tells us about you. Oh, God, give to us wisdom and and strength, Lord. Give us faith to believe that these passages contain promises that we must grab a hold of in times of difficulty and trials. Thank you that you have given us your word that reveals your person, who you are. Lord, would you pour out your compassion and your mercy? Would you help us feel this amazing reality? of this sovereign God who is all-powerful, infinite, transcendent, and yet tender, leans down to your children today and kiss them on the cheek so that they may know, my people, you're my child, and I will not forsake you. see he has never forsaken Jesus except for that one time that enabled you to be part of the family but he now sits on the right hand of his father in glory and honor and one day he will come back for us and he tells us today oh God thank you for your promises that you say you will keep us and one day you're going to come back for us in this we trust now, God, in Christ alone, do we stand to our feet. Lord, we've gathered here like David because we long to gather together and experience your presence and power. So, Lord, will you now receive our worship? We pray this in the only name given among men whereby we might be saved his name is Jesus. Amen. Stand with us. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This corner